Welcome to episode number 101 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. So today's kind of a fun day, team. I'm celebrating that we have uh, launched 100 podcast episodes, and the number 100 just released today. And so I just am sitting for a moment in a feeling of pride around committing to something, and I wanted to pop on here and give you a couple of things that I'm thinking on and that I'm working on personally and um, be a little bit vulnerable with you and share some things that are going on and, and some of my struggles and wins and, you know, in the hopes that maybe it's helpful to one of you who's out there too. So um, I first want to start off and it's going to be a little bit of like a mishmash today. So just fucking prepare yourself. Okay. And it's not a problem. Okay. My clients know I say this all the time. It's just not a problem. All right. This is sometimes how my brain works and maybe this is how your brain works too. And I'm going to roll with it. So I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, I found this, um, (laughs) I found this letter from my son today. I was looking through, uh, my files and preparing, uh, my tax, uh, items, you know, getting all of the, uh, reports ready and, uh, compiling, you know, receipt logs and expenses and all that stuff for tax season that is upon us. And, uh, and I found this, this, envelope uh, and file folder in uh, my drawer and there was this one picture in it and it was funny I looked at the picture and I you know I've looked at many pictures that my kids have created over the years some of which are artistic and some of which are just plain not you know what I'm saying you know if you know you know if you're the recipient of these pictures right you know uh, that you know they're lovely they're labors of love by these children who make them And, um, but for whatever reason, I kept this one, but it's funny because when I came upon it, it was just, I saw the colors and the colors aren't the ones that I like, you know, I, I, I know this about myself. I like certain, I like the cool tone colors for the most part. And, um, like the, these colors are bright, you know, it's green and orange brown, you know, not quite my, my shtick. Uh, but you know, so I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, oh, I don't really need this. I don't know why I kept it. So I put it on my desk and then sure enough, I, um, I went to turn it over for whatever reason. And on the back, there's this poem that my son Ryan wrote and I'm going to share it with you and you'll understand why in a little bit. And this is going to be one of those, like, you got to hear the whole thing and it's going to come full circle for you then. Most important thing it says at the top, my mom, the most important thing about my mom is she always has my back. She's cool. She likes helping people. She doesn't like trouble. I mean, oh my God, that just makes me want to, it just makes me want to laugh. Um, she makes the best food. That's super sweet. Although he declines to eat a lot of it. So I don't know what's going on there, but at least he has a high view of the food I make. She sometimes makes mistakes. Look at that. I sure as fuck do. She always works hard. I would agree with most of that. But the most important thing about my mom is that she always has my back. And I looked at that and I was like, wow, holy moly. Like I created that human. And that human then went on to put these words down on paper. And that's incredible, number one. And number two, the content of what was written is really heartwarming and really touching. And, um, 
and I, so I kept it. So I've got it just sitting out on my desk and I've got a big desk in here in my office and lots of white space, which I love, right? Clean, clean countertops for me equate to a clean brain, uh, you know, without clutter. And I love that, but I just have this sitting out and I'm probably going to frame it and put it up because it's something that I think needs to go next to my here's to strong women. May we know them, may we be them, may we raise them uh, sign. And, um, but I love this and it touches on something that we talked about last night in coach training. And I had my uh, clients do a, an exercise and it was really interesting to do this, not only personally, but also to facilitate this exercise and also to watch them and to hear their feedback from it. And so we did an exercise and the premise of it is, uh, you know, take a few minutes, write down the things that uh, you aren't doing right now to build your coaching business. You know, these, uh, this cohort has gone through, we're about maybe five months into a six month program. They at the beginning learned in coach training, they learned all of the tools at the beginning of the program and, you know, the coaching tools that we use. Uh, and over a two-day in-person event. And then over the past six months, we've been doing what we call Coach Lab, where you know, we kind of every uh, Monday, about three out of four weeks of, of every month over those you know, following six months, we meet together and then we tackle something and you know, what's coming up, what's hard, bring your questions, you know, what did your client say, what are your client wins, um, are you making offers? Are you out there, you know, offering to help people? Where are you getting stuck? That kind of thing, right? Really working through implementing and putting it into action. And um, and I love the way that this that that program is really designed for me. It's really clear in my brain, right? Learn the tools and then spend the next six months with a group of people, go through the struggles of trying to implement and you know figure out all the barriers and and get through that together. I think it's great. But it was interesting last night, I had them do this exercise and I said, all right, write down the things that you aren't doing in your business or with your coaching tools that uh, aren't, you know, that are contributing to results that you don't want, right? Like if you're not out there, if you don't have, haven't made your money back in the program, what are you not doing that is contributing to creating that result for yourself? And then, you know, we talk about kind of the feelings that are driving that inaction and then really the thinking and mindset of it. So I give them a couple minutes and said, you know, write them down. And then we went into coaching pairs and they coached each other for a few minutes. We came back to a group and I said, what's your feedback? And we went through it and, and talked through, you know, some of the things that they discovered and, you know, some of the negative emotions and the shame and insecurity. And, uh, you know, as one my, my one client said, insecurity is a B-I-T-C-H. Um, she said she spells things, you know, quite often cause she's got toddlers around. <laughs> so, but right. Insecurity really comes up for a lot of people. And if that is driving you in terms of the practice you're trying to build or the coaching business you're trying to build, it can be challenging, right? When you feel, if you allow insecurity to really drive the bus on whether you not, or not you make offers, whether or not you talk to people and tell them about what you're doing, whether or not you share, you know, whether or not you invite them to conversation, you know, all that. And so, um, so we talked through that and then I said, all right, now I want you to go and spend a couple minutes and write down the things that you are doing and, uh, and the results that you are creating for yourself. Uh, and you know, go ahead and do that. So we did that for a couple minutes and then we again split up into different pairs and, and did a little coaching and you know, what happens and what we talked about after the fact was that they could see very clearly when I focus on you know, the, the things I'm not doing and the results I'm not creating, it feels kind of terrible. 
And when I focus on the things that I am creating, it feels actually decent, right? Like feels pretty good, right? Like, and, and how easy it is to manipulate your brain into a place of uh, feeling, you know, some of those big negative emotions like shame or insecurity or feeling like confident and positive and, um, and, and, uh, you know, peaceful or optimistic or hopeful, right. Uh, as feelings that drive, you know, the, the reasons that you, you know, tell people what you're doing and, and go out there and make offers. And so it was a great exercise. I think for them, it was great for me to watch them have again, a realization that it, whatever I put my focus on multiplies, right? And so if I can agree that in the span of 20 minutes, right, I can focus on positive things, feel pretty good, or I can shift my focus and attention to the negative things and I can feel pretty shitty, then you know, we had a conversation at the end around, well, where do you want to spend your time? And, and, and we talk a lot in our program about the idea of uh, what we call thought swapping and this kind of premise that we're not here to just, you know, make it all sunshine and roses. And whenever I feel a negative emotion, you know, that I just simply change my thoughts and change my thinking and, you know, and, and divert my mind to something to someplace better. We in this program talk a lot about becoming an emotion scientist, how to allow feelings, how to process emotions, um, and how to become a person who's emotionally resilient. And so I'm not an advocate for, you know, uh, avoiding any, any feelings, you know, regardless of, of what they are or how bad they feel. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is it's fascinating. If, we're, if we look at the objective data and say, wow, if my brain attends to the things that I am doing, it feels pretty good. And if it then shifts its focus to things I'm not doing and it feels shitty, I feel shitty. And then when I feel shitty, how likely am I to go out and build the business? Well, you know, look, I'll tell you, I've done both. And I would much rather prefer to build a business from a place of optimism, hopefulness, peacefulness, uh, you know, love, joy, commitment, um, you know, from a, from a positive emotion. It's just so much easier. And the experience is so much better. And if we agree that most people, right, there's there's kind of a playbook for building a business and you know, there's a lot of ways to build a business, right? As evidenced by the fact that there are private practice owners. I mean, they're coaching businesses. They, they all have a slightly different flavor. They all probably have different models. They all run different Facebook ads. They all do different geotargeting and geofencing and SEO. And, but you know, a lot of them make money. A lot of them are successful. Um, and so our job is to say, well, if, if, if it's not so much the process and if there are a lot of ways to make money or to, to build a business, then, and, and there's really no right or wrong way, right? Uh, even if I'm in my playbook of the things that I would recommend to a client on building a business, you, you kind of get to put your own spin on it, your own flavor and figure out what works for you and what works for, for what doesn't work for you, right? And so, but the, the, the point is like, what kind of experience do you want to have along the way? And, and how do you want that whole journey to go? And so I wanted to, you know, um, I wanted to bring that up because you, one of the things that I'm doing right now uh, in my own personal life is dry January. I'm on day 23 of dry January. And I'll be honest, probably around January 3rd or 4th, maybe 2nd even or 3rd, I was having so many cravings for a glass of wine because I had had quite a bit of wine uh, in that week between Christmas and New Year's. And so I was having so many urges and cravings and I did give in to one. I poured myself a glass of wine. I sat down at the table while we were having dinner. I took one sip and I was like, 
I'm not doing this. And then I went to the sink. I poured the whole glass of wine out and I didn't drink anymore. And then I haven't had any since, you know, since then. And one of the things that is so interesting is that when you commit to doing something like dry January, um, a process that inevitably is, feels kind of hard for some people. It's certainly, I don't, you know what, I don't even know how it feels for other people, but I'm going to tell you how it felt for me, which is that when I thought of doing dry January, I thought that sounds fucking terrible and I'm not doing it. And then what happens? Well, you know, a girlfriend reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm doing dry January and a couple of my friends are doing it. You want to do it together. And then, you know, the peer pressure sets in and isn't it so funny? You won't maybe do something for yourself, but the minute that one of your friends is like, we're doing it, you know, the minute that peer pressure sits in and like all of a sudden you're like, well, I mean, whatever, it's not so bad. Maybe I'll do it. And it's exactly what happened. And so I, I fought my brain for a day or two, didn't respond to her. And then I responded back and I was like, I'm in fucking count me in. I hate this, but I'm in right. Like, ugh. Right. It was like Roy Kent, like, right. Like a a, a lot of grunting. Um, And so, so I, you, some people will look at dry January and say, why on earth would you ever commit to that? And what's interesting is that there are many more people around me who are drinking, right. And not doing dry January than there are doing dry January. And so it's kind of funny to be the person who says, I'm going to commit to doing something pretty hard right? And, and I'm going to manage my brain and I'm going to notice when all these negative emotions come up and I'm going to notice when all these positive mo- emotions come up and I am going to train my brain and I'm going to keep redirecting my brain to all the evidence that does exist for why it's either uh, a good decision for me, why it's uh, hard and worth it, why it's important and necessary right? And right, all of these uh, reasons that are coming up. And so the past month or past, I guess, 23 days has been very, very insightful for me, right? Not only because it's good to, for me, I think, uh, have, be, feel in control around my relationship with anything, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, gluten, you know, you name it right? I like to do a, a gut check once in a blue moon to say, you know, what are the things I need and what are the things I'm relying on? Because man, something like alcohol, if you know, you know, if you like a gin and tonic or some sort of a cocktail once in a while, um, you know, it can feel that, or you like drinking wine. I love to drink wine. Um, but you know, at some point, right. The question always comes down to it for me. Do I, is that something that serves me? Right. And, and if I become the person who's not sleeping well at night, who doesn't feel good because, you know, two quick drinks give me sometimes a hangover. If I don't want to be hung over the next day, like how, you know, does it serve me? And, and, and there's no right or wrong answer to this and there's no judgment. And I'm not here, you know, passing judgment on anybody who does or doesn't. I'm just sharing my own experience on how I'm navigating this and what I'm thinking about it and why I'm doing it. Um, and so I, for the past 23 days, it has been a very insightful experience from going from the first 10 days of feeling cravings and urges and wanting to, to avoid how I feel at the end of the night and then have a drink, which is how, you know, what I used to do. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast where, you know, when the kids were young, I kept Jose Cuervo margaritas like in the fridge. And like, I remember there was a season, a summer season where I was like, come home from work, I'd have a margarita. And then, you know, we would have dinner, like while I was cooking dinner, I have one, 
you know, baby up on whether it was Will or Ryan, I would take their little lazy lamb. If you guys ever remember that it had the little vibrator on it. And so you put the batteries in and the damn thing would like vibrate. My kids loved that lazy lamb. And, um, I put it up on our counter and I would literally cook my veg. I, you know, cut up my dinner, like get it all prepped and stuff. And I'd have my margarita. And, um, and so, and I, I've never, I've never been in a place where I, you know, don't associate any of the drinking that I've ever done with, with being an alcoholic. I mean, that, that's not the conversation here, but I do notice sometimes that my personal, uh, thing that I do is that sometimes I use alcohol as a way to avoid how I feel. Right. And what I notice, especially for this month, because I'll tell you, I don't think I've actually done a month of, of, you know, not drinking since the since I was pregnant and uh, and even in pregnancy I think I had a couple glasses of wine like I wasn't completely nine ten months you know uh, without you know alcohol free and so um, what I've noticed is that you know in the evenings when I get a little bit restless the day is done right the work is done I'm still buzzing a little bit from like you know all the things of like trying to quiet down you know, the day shut, shut things down and then make the transition over into a uh, second shift. And many of you can relate to this, which is, you know, the work that you do when you come home, which maybe, you know, maybe it's for you, it's prepping dinner. Maybe it's making a quick trip to the grocery store if you've not been able to get out, you know, but there is this, you know, that second shift and, and, uh, maybe it's picking your kids up or coordinating who's, you know, getting which child to soccer practice or, you know, there's kind of that, that uh, for many families uh, and many individuals, many parents, that second phase. And so, so I've noticed in the evenings I get what I would say pretty restless and, and bored. And isn't that interesting to be bored, right? And sometimes it's kind of restless with some of those, just the very mundane tasks, you know, cooking, of, cooking dinner. Right. Like I, like I, I, you know, I, I've shared uh, on this podcast that I love to cook and, uh, but I don't love to cook all the time and I don't love to cook when I'm tired. Right. And so usually my, uh, plan is to do quite a bit of cooking on Sundays. We, I then have a lot of leftovers for the week and plan out many of my meals. I tend not to cook for lunch. I tend only to cook for dinner and I do, I freeze quite a bit. I make food in bulk essentially in volume. And then I take it, I parse it down and you know, get it into the freezer. And then, uh, you know, I have plenty to, you know, uh, go to when you know, dinner comes around, right? So this is exactly what I do with meatballs. I usually roll out five pounds of meatballs. I make a big vat of sauce and then I take that and I uh, partition it down into small uh, containers. And then I know just about how much I need for, you know, one round of spaghetti and, and meatballs, which I lovingly put on the label spaghetti and balls. And, um, but right, I usually tend to do a lot of that, but I'll tell you something, you know, occasionally we're in, in this month of January, I'm actually going through our freezer, <laughs> which is always, always interesting. What's in the freezer. And I'm using everything that we have. I'm trying to, that's my goal is I want to clean out whatever is in that freezer and I want to, whatever I've put into it over the past, well, if we're being honest, uh, you know, several years, I've found some old I found some old things in there, friends, okay? And I'm not the first person who can probably open up a freezer and find something from pre-pandemic, but it's happened, okay? I'm gonna, I told you I was gonna be vulnerable here. And um, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things in there, right? There's chicken soup and, 
you know, there's Parker's beef stew and there's, uh, you know, corned beef broth and I mean, all sorts of stuff, clam juice, like all sorts of goodies in there, right? I mean, it's interesting. There's a meatloaf, there's, you know, string beans, there's a, a, a rack of ribs. I got all sorts of shit in that freezer. But my goal was through January just to use what we had and, you know, get through a lot of that frozen stuff. So, you know, but occasionally once in a blue moon, I don't want to use what's in the freezer. I don't really want to cook. I've also committed over the month of January to, from a budget perspective, to not eating out from Monday through Friday, right? Just as a way, as a very clean way in my brain to say, we just don't eat out Monday through Friday. And and for the most part. Now, I will tell you, I violated that rule. I went out and grabbed um, my parents, invited us for Chinese food. So we did go and, and join them for that. But I'm really trying to use what we have really trying to be aware of how often I just feel like I'm restless, I'm tired, I don't want to do it. And then I say, well, let's go get something or, you know, let's order. Because as you know, that stuff gets expensive. Um, generally speaking, especially if you're using a DoorDash or an Uber Eats, you know, you're paying more through those apps and you would be paying, you know, certainly if you're sitting down in a restaurant. And then, you know, usually based on the cost of things right now, you're paying a lot every time we go out to a restaurant. I mean, the cost of food right now is exorbitant. Um, and so, you know, not only if you're getting it out of a restaurant, but also if we're getting it, you know, uh, at the grocery store. And so as a way for cost containment and staying on budget, you know, cooking at home and making some lentils and potato soup isn't a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? Anybody out there doing soups right now? I'm doing lots of soups. You know why? Well, because they're cost effective. My family kind of, for the most part, likes them. They're probably 50-50 on them, but you know, oh well. Like they all are, they're rich. They got a good broth. They've got protein in them. Like it's a, it's a nutritionally, you know, complete meal. And so if they want to choose to eat it, great. If they don't, not my fucking problem, right? Like I, this is the food that I'm cooking. <laughs> so, so it's been, so this month has been just ripe with, right? All kinds of insight. Cause I, right took out the booze. If you take away the things that you usually go to when you're feeling all sorts of negative emotions or you're restless or you're bored or you're tired and you take away things like booze and you take away takeout, you know, what else are you left with? Well, most of us will find that we are left with ourselves. And for most of us, that is sometimes a, an interesting and painful, uh, realization. <laughs> I don't know about you, but, you know, being with myself and being bored and managing my boredom and not doing something that I would otherwise do to avoid the boredom, maybe turning on a Netflix show or having a glass of wine or, you know, doing something that, you know, keeps my attention. I mean, that's one of the most challenging things for me. And I've noticed it too, that it comes out for me personally, it comes out, uh, you know, where this is probably one of my tendencies, not probably, this is definitely one of my tendencies where I tend to overwork right? Again, because I sometimes just use work as a intervention not to feel bored. And now if we look at it and we say, all right, well, what the hell is the problem with that? There really isn't a problem with that. Unless you find that whatever you're doing to avoid your boredom is then making it challenging for other things in your life, right? If it's not serving you, right? If I uh, am drinking in the evenings and having cocktails in order to alleviate my boredom or avoid how restless I feel or to so that I don't go and interact with my family or I blunt the experience of interacting with my family because, oh, it's just too much. Then, um, and I alter 
you know, kind of the experience of it. Once I take that away and then I'm all I'm left with me is me and my big old feelings. And then I take away again, the takeout, I take away, you know, all the ways in which I would otherwise avoid it. I mean, it's kind of one of those moments where you're like, shit, who do I want to be in the moment? And who does, and, and does it serve me right to avoid my restlessness, avoid my boredom? right? Some of those things, right? Overworking, probably not necessarily a bad thing to overwork again, unless it comes at the detriment of being the family person or the human that you want to be, right? Some people love to overwork, not, not an issue. Um, if I overdrink, what happens? Well, I, you know, I probably will see some changes in the relationships around me and, um, maybe, maybe not. And maybe I wake up and feel terrible, and that doesn't serve me. Or I get really shitty quality, uh, you know, of sleep and that doesn't serve me. And right. And the decision is always, it's yours and it's mine, right? It's the individuals to say, you know, does it, does it serve me? Right. Does if overworking helps me get the project done, but I miss out on being around my family or, um, you know, I, uh, you know, it may be worth it to me, but if I have the drinks, to avoid kind of like how bored I feel and to make it easier to sit amongst my family because I don't want to deal with all their BS and or my, you know, my kind of negative mood from work, spilling over from work or, you know, whatever it is, then, you know, does it serve me? I don't know. Does it serve me to have a hangover the next day or not sleep well? I don't know. That's a very individual choice for a lot of people. But what I'm finding is that over the past month of taking it out, I just notice, oh, See, you're bored. You want to do something. You either want to eat or you want to drink or you want to do something to avoid how bored you are. And look at that. And how does that feel? And are you okay with it? Right? I mean, it's kind of interesting. Again, we take away all the ways in which we usually tend to, um, what we call in, in coaching is buffer, right? And like, what are you left with? Well, you're left with you <laughs> and all your tendencies, and all of your, all of your thinking patterns and all that's in your brain and all the buzzing and all the, you know, you're left just with you. And if you don't like the relationship that you have with yourself, that can be kind of shitty. So I did try January because I wanted to do something that felt really hard. And one of the things that I talk a lot with my clients about is that you know, building a business is not easy for the most part. There are just a lot of things that uh, are challenging, things you got to figure out, things that are, um, you know, goofy or confusing, or there, there's just all sorts of things, right? It, I wouldn't call building a business easy, but here's the here's the reality. What I do know is that the opportunity that comes with building a business is that you could create something incredible, and you could create something that is worthwhile and that creates a lot of impact and that helps a lot of people. And, and, and the job that I do as a coach is always to say to my clients, you know, what's worth it, right? Is the juice worth the squeeze for you at the end? Is the pain of building the business worthwhile when you look around and see that you've helped, you know, 50 women take back their experience of midlife and by incorporating hormone replacement therapy? Is it worth it when you uh, you know, creating a sales funnel and email sequence so that when your clients come into side, you know, side hustles for APNs that you give them an opportunity to, uh, take a, a $99 course and build a, a side hustle that can create 2000, 
right? Like it's a lot of, it's a lot of work goes into that. But it, it, from my standpoint, it's like, it's just worth the squeeze. Like if somebody emails you and says, I just want to tell you, I just got this email probably about two weeks ago. I just wanted you to know I did the side hustles course and it was fantastic. And thank you so much for, you know, the content. It was great. And I'm going to, you know, I went out and got the other two courses that you have. And I, and right. Like, is it worth it? Is all of the pain, all of the, um, you know, all of the discomfort, all of the, the frustration, all the restlessness, the boredom, you know, is it worth it? And that's a, again, it's always a very individual question. It's the same thing of, you know, doing an unmedicated birth. And then I think back to all the hard things that I've done in my life, you know, the things I would consider to be pretty challenging for me, unmedicated birth, running a marathon, building two businesses, um, like, you know, those things, you know, becoming a parent, learning to parent, like these are things that have been challenging, very challenging for me. And I would consider them the hard category, not easy. Uh, and right. And, and at all, in all of those moments, whether it was running the marathon, uh, unmedicated birth, <clears throat> building businesses, raising children, I've wanted to quit throughout all of them because it's been hard. <laughs> it's, I've wanted to quit all of those things. I don't care if we were running at mile 20 of 26 in the marathon or if it was when I was five centimeters showing up in triage, hoping I was 10, right, I'm as a prime in, in my first labor and birth experience and just thinking, gosh, when is it going to end? But then committing and saying, you know, it's worth it at the end for the possibility that I have an unmedicated birth and I look back and say, how incredible, look what you've done, right? And I get to hold this little one in my hands right? In my arms, right? Like that's incredible. The feeling, because right. I mean, think of what happens when you get to doing something that's hard and, and, and even if you don't win, right. Even if you don't get to the, the, um, anticipated, what we would call ideal outcome, right. You go through a medicated birth, you get to seven centimeters and, you know, for whatever reason, uh, that baby, it engages it's, uh, you know, it's posterior or it's, deep transverse arrest or, you know, and you, you subsequently undergo a section, right. And, and, but you get to look at it and you get to look at it and say, was it worth it? Was it worth it for, was the juice worth the squeeze for me to try? And I think most of us can look back and say, I tried. And that feeling of just looking back, even if the outcome wasn't what you had anticipated, right? It's like when we ran the marathon, the marathon was canceled. It was the only marathon in Chicago history ever to be canceled ever because it was so hot. Uh, and they ran out of water. And so, you know, I never anticipated after all of that training, after six or eight months of training, injuries, physical therapy, yoga, you know, all this shit that we would get to that day, it would be 90 plus degrees out and they would run out of water within the first, uh, five miles or five or six miles of the race. And they would cancel the damn thing midway through cancel it like while we're running on something we've trained, you know, eight months for six months for run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of training miles for. And right. But like, here's the other part of that. Like I know that, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze it for the possibility that you could cross the finish line, which we ended up doing, even though the damn thing was canceled, we kept running, right. Canceled. Uh, I don't know, maybe mile 15, and we ran the next 11 miles from there so that we could cross the finish line, right? Like they were literally diverting us off of the track and we just kept going. 
Cause the pos right. The, the sheer joy of crossing the finish line, right. Even if they had like put up the barricades and said, you can't, you physically can't go anymore. Right. Just knowing, Oh shit. I gave it my best. I, I, I ran until I could run until they didn't allow me to run anymore. I mean, that's right. There's some joy in that for a lot of us, right. To be on the other side and say, I did it. I did the best that I could. That is, that's an incredible feeling. I built the business. I sold the course. You know, I went through all of these, uh, changing of course titles and changing funnel sequences and redoing emails and, you know, trying to, uh, track conversion rates and, you know, and, and I, and I made these small changes and it worked. And to be the person who holds that in the palm of her hand and says, the satisfaction from that is incredible. And I'd take that any day of the week and twice on fucking Sunday. Right? So when I notice things for myself, like something comes up dry January and my brain initially goes, that's too fucking hard. We're not doing that shit. That's my first uh, key to say, oh, you know what? We're going to do that. We need to do that. You know why? Because we got to, you know, like what else are we here to do? I was thinking about how, um, I think at this point in my life, you know, I've toyed with a lot of different strategies for living, right? And uh, for those of you in any of our programs, you know that we do Clifton Strengths. And, you know, one of the things, the top uh, 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 strength that I have is that I'm an achiever. And I'm, you know, uh, someone who loves, you know, I love the, the, I have high drive and high focus and, you know, I'll go out there and I love to win. And one of the things that I've noticed is that for me personally, um, there's this idea of, you know, doing the hard thing that is really compelling to me and I hate it. I, you know, I never, I wanted to run a marathon and I thought it would be cool, but I didn't really want to run a marathon. You know what I'm saying? When I was in college, we did the breast cancer, 60 mile Avon breast cancer walk, raised a, um, (laughs) raised a bunch of money made these fantastic t-shirts that said, save the Hooters, had a big party at Loyola. It was so fun. But my four of my friends, uh, the four total of us, three of my friends did fundraising for Avon and we had so much fun, but we walked 60 miles and I'll tell you something. I, I didn't, I I didn't necessarily want to walk 60 miles. It sounded really hard, but here's the benefit. If you're willing to do the hard thing, like for the sheer joy and pleasure that on the other end of that, you might have this beautiful moment where you look back and you're like, oh my God, that's incredible, right? Like the, the, the peacefulness and the joy and the love and the um, pride that comes from being that person, committing through thick and thin, through the training runs and the training walks and the blisters and the physical therapy and the sleeping intense and you know, it's all, all feels worth it. Right. And so I have learned that for, for me, it's this concept of, I like the hard. I like to run the two businesses. I like to run the marathon. I like the unmedicated birth. I don't like it, but I like it. You know what I'm saying? I know that about myself. And so I think for dry January, again, it was, it was just one of those very, it's been a very insightful month to number one, take a step back and say, how am I using 
you know, uh, food, uh, how am I using wine and alcohol and what's the relationship that I have with those items and do I like it? Do I not like it? Do I want to continue use it? Do I not want to continue using it? And the answer is probably somewhere in between. I've actually decided that I don't like a lot of alcoholic drinks. I really do enjoy wine and there are a couple wines that I love. I mean, I think a good wine, it's, it's hard to beat. Um, and, but I also kind of realized like I, there are very few alcoholic drinks that I like and why am I drinking them if I don't like them? That just sounds so silly. So I'm, you know, there are probably some things that are going to change after dry January for me personally. And that's okay. And that's, that's why I've done it. Right. It's always good to, I think, notice when your brain comes in and says, that's hard. We shouldn't do that. Avoid that. It's going to be very painful. I, for me, have learned that that's a reason that I should pay attention. It's probably something I need to do or not necessarily that I need to do, but that I could do that has a lot of benefit to me at the end, right? There's something in it for me. And, um, and then also this other concept of, um, what David Goggins says as stay hard, right? Keep committing, keep committing to the hard, right? Because what's on the other side of that, of doing hard? Well, it's the opportunity that you may feel amazing and incredible and may look at what you've done and, and be encouraged and, and, and also maybe even during the process, you might encourage somebody else to do something similar. You might encourage them to do their hard, whatever version of that it is, right? And then along the way, maybe if you think back to some of the things we talked about earlier in terms of you know, some of these coaching tools, maybe you look at it and say, oh, look at my brain. If I focus on you know, the parent that I'm not, and then my son gives me this beautiful letter and shows me the parent who he thinks I am, isn't that, isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a wonderful opportunity for me to question, you know, where I focus my attention and what's really serving me? If dry January comes around and I think dry January sounds terrible and I never want to do that. And it sounds, you know, just like, God, being around in a bar. And I'm going to tell you something we have not avoided going out to bars, going to concerts, um, being out with friends, having friends over the house. Uh, we've done, I've done all of it. Because I was like, I'm not letting dry January get in the way of me not going out. I'm not going to sit in this damn house and not drink and, and feel like, you know, I can't go out. We've gone everywhere, gone to bars, you know, concerts, like all the things. I'm doing all the things and just noticing, right? Like how it feels to be alcohol free and how it feels to have my club soda. Um, so, but, you know, what kind of person do you want to be? What's your version of, of stay hard? What do you want to commit to that, that, you know, what do you want to focus your attention on? Uh, all the shitty parts of it, all the positive parts of it and what feels better to you. And ultimately what serves you at the end? That's always the question. Does it serve me? So I know we've jumped around a little bit this episode and, uh, and I got to tell you, I, if you're even still listening at this point in the podcast and, um, you know, there's been any aha moments for you. I hope that you go ahead and like this podcast and or subscribe to it or share it with somebody who you think would find it valuable to them too. But I just want to say thank you. And I, I, you know, I've come on this podcast over a hundred episodes and committed to doing something that was hard, you know, a hundred episodes in a row, every Tuesday, 5am launching a podcast a hundred weeks in a row. That's hard. That's what I will call doing hard, right? Never missing, committed, driven, um, even doing it, you know, having discipline, planning it out, making sure that they always launch, right? And uh, and I just want to share that journey of doing hard. 
um, or what I will call, you know, the things that I don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's something in there for you in terms of things that you're looking at in your life, right? Like what are the things that you don't want to do? What are the things that you need to do for your own peace of mind? What are the things that if you did that were really fucking hard that would have a big, huge fucking payoff? Not necessarily in the award or the recognition, or but, but for you from a standpoint of personal growth and opportunity to see yourself differently, what would it fucking be? And are you willing to do it? Are you willing to stay hard? And are you willing to get out there and, and do the shit that your brain is like, oh, no not doing that today. Okay. Get out there and do it. And if you don't know David Goggins, I'm just going to warn you. I like David Goggins because, you know, he's, he is, he is a no shit, like take no shit, right? Like my son said, she doesn't like trouble. David Goggins doesn't like trouble, right? He's pretty clear. He's like, I got this brain. I had this experience. This is how I do hard. Uh, and this is how I manage my brain. And this is how I push my body and push my body and see what it's capable of. And I love that concept. And so, but for those of you who are like, who's this David Goggins? You look him up on Instagram, he swears a lot. So just prepare yourselves. And it, it doesn't mean anything about him. Uh, but uh, that's commonly the, the feedback that I get. Like, you watch David Goggins? Yes, I do. Right? It's incredible to witness somebody who's willing to go above and beyond and push and push and push and see what's possible. It's incredible. All the people that I look up to in my life are people who do that. They keep pushing the boundaries of what's possible because when I see them do it, I also know that all that's standing between me and these big, huge, audacious, hairy goals that I have is me. Okay? So go out there, have your children write down some things they like about you. Use them as a way to remind yourself about the human that you are, which may be different than the story that you have in your head. Go out and do some hard shit. Make yourself up, you know, put yourself up to the challenge. You can do it. Your brain will tell you absolutely positively, no, you cannot do this. But you ultimately, at the end of the day, get to decide whether or not you can or you can't. And we're not here to judge it. But wouldn't, wouldn't it be incredible? Wouldn't it be amazing to sit there and be thinking, I did that shit. I'm going to stay hard. I love that. Okay. Go out, go get it, go build those businesses. Okay. Reach out if you need some help. All right. I'll see you next time team. Take care.